Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. May the peace, mercy, and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon all of you. Thank you for welcoming us into your home this evening to share in the conversations. My name is Maimuna Hussain. We welcome you from our beautiful studio here and for Islam and Life tonight. We want to remind you uh, that Islam and Life can also be found as a podcast after tonight, inshallah, on uh, some links that will start to come up on the bottom of your screen. So you can find it on our own Islam and Life podcast. Uh, you can find it on Google Podcasts. You can find it on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google TuneIn and Alexa, iHeartRadio, uh, Player FM, as well as Podchaser, and as well as the Samsung Podcast app. So um, if you like what you hear, if you want to recommend it to friends and you're on the move, you can definitely be listening in and uh, at least engaging in the conversation that way. So, as we begin, we say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. We begin with the remembrance and praise of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. As we begin with anything that we hope will be of goodness, Insha'Allah. And so, let us begin with some recitation of the Holy Quran. ومن آياته أن خلق لكم من أنفسكم أزواجا لتسكنوا إليها وجعل بينكم مودة ورحمة إن في ذلك لآيات لقوم يتفكرون I want to also welcome uh, Brother Khalid Al-Qizaz, my co-host tonight. And Brother Khalid, if you want to share a little bit with us about the premise of the show and what we hope to usually, you know, achieve with Islam and life over time. As we are doing every week, uh, we're trying to start and initiate conversations uh, that stem from our Islamic perspective and Islamic worldview. And we try to set an agenda that is uh, uh, Muslim-based and respects the Muslim mind and understands uh, where is uh, the Muslim framework uh, coming from and helping our audience, our Muslim communities across North America to uh, come up with an appreciation and an understanding of how to live Islam now and here, inshallah. So we try to do this through conversations around uh, uh, issues of life uh, issues that they face uh, on day-to-day -day basis uh, beyond uh, the scope of uh, fiqh alone or the understanding of the halal and haram, understanding how the objectives of sharia, understanding uh, basically how to apply uh, this beautiful religion on everything that we face uh, and every, every all issues that we deal with and live with. And the unique, unique part of this is that it's a conversation. And so our guests are, you know, individuals who are, who are really engaging in that narrative of, uh, you know, Islam and being Muslim in this North American context, either through activism, through academic uh, research work or community engagement and service to the community. And so the other part to this also is that we look to you as our audience to join in on this conversation and ask your thought provoking questions uh, so that we can have have those conversations and uh, also have the opportunity for our guests to um, you know participate in that live conversation so uh, throughout the show if you want to uh, send in your questions or ask them live on zoom there are a few ways that you can do that if you're on YouTube uh, just uh, type in your question on the chat there if you want to participate live on uh, zoom you can find us our meeting room is nine zero five eight two 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 six now, before we get into tonight's conversation, we want to invite you all um, to engage in it as we do each week with our critical question of the week. And Brother Khalid, I'll ask you to remind us again, what is this whole idea behind the critical question of the week? 
Okay, we'll keep hammering this idea every week so that uh, we uh, uh, initiate a conversation that starts from the audience and uh, starts from our community. And that conversation uh, uh, stems from an open-ended question that is not uh, dictated by our, either ourselves or our guests. That's a, a conversation around a critical subject or a critical topic from a, an Islamic perspective. We'll invite you to think about these uh, ideas, these concepts, these uh, topics, these questions, and uh, uh, contribute online either through our YouTube channel uh, comments or through our email, uh, through our email or our different uh, uh, social media platforms, or even if you want to email us. Uh, these uh, these uh, these ideas. So a segment of the show is about uh, basically asking open-ended questions and hoping that you engage in this thought-provoking process. So for this week, our critical question is: Should we follow particular causes only when it is under the spotlight or trending? How do we combat anti-black racism as Muslims through an Islamic framework? So. Give us your answers, give us your thoughts. You can do so on any of our social media platforms or you can email us at productions at macnet.ca. So again, that question is about following causes and do we do that when it's under the spotlight or trending? And given that it is Black History Month, uh, February, how do we combat anti-black uh, anti racism as Muslims through an Islamic framework? So this seems to be two questions, Sister Mimuna, not one, but it, uh, one leads to the other. And uh, our question here is, uh, is actually framed around uh, the importance of uh, acknowledging the existence of uh, black racism. Uh, but how do we tackle this from an Islamic perspective? And do we limit it into the space of remembrance or into the space of recognition? Or we go beyond this? And we as Muslims have an obligation that stems from our understanding of Islam uh, onto combating all forms of racism. So how do we do this? How do we recognize this and continue this and not only keep it limited to uh, a particular time or a particular focus, either driven internally or externally? All right, so now moving on to tonight's episode. This evening, we will start our special series on Islam and the family unit. And so the institution of the family, and we want to explore this through various uh, lenses. Um, and uh, tonight, we want to start that uh, specifically around uh, marriage. And so before we get into the conversation, let's take a look at what our research team has put together for us. Islam places a great value in the protection and maintenance of the family unit as it is the nucleus of societal development. As translated from verse 1 of Surah An-Nisa, And be mindful of Allah, in whose name you appeal to one another, and honor family ties. Surely Allah is ever watchful over you. Striving to protect the family unit is seen as essential in the Islamic faith, as it is seen as the foundation of society as a whole. In other words, the stability and prosperity of societies are directly linked to the health of the individual families. A healthy family offers its members a stable and secure environment required for the spiritual and mental growth of its members, who then contribute to a thriving society. Parents are also placed in very high regard, as translated from verse 14 of Surah Luqman, and we have commanded people to honor their parents. In today's materialistic worldview, marriage is often seen as a transaction between two people and often ending in failure. According to the Statista Research Department, there were about 2.78 million people who obtained a legal divorce in Canada in 2022. This figure has been steadily increasing since the year 2000, during which there were about 1.88 million divorcees in Canada. Marriage in Islam is a sacred act and a legal agreement upon which families are built. As translated from Surah Ar-Rum, Ayah 21, and one of his signs is that he created for you spouses from among yourselves so that you may find comfort in them, and he has placed between you compassion and mercy. Also, our beloved Prophet Muhammad is reported to have said, when a person gets married, he has completed half of his religion. In the Qur'an, the husband and wife are described as garments for one another. Marriage being the most intimate and loving relationship, each should serve as a cover and a protection for the other. This concept of a garment implies that each party has equal responsibility in building a tranquil home that can serve as a refuge from the outside dangers. 
In his article on 10 Habits of Happy Muslim Couples, Muhammad Faris, the author of The Productive Muslim, outlined the top three as being one, that they love each other for the sake of Allah, two, that they are grateful for each other, and three, that they communicate like best friends. And among the most important ingredients of a successful marriage is a close relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by living a God-centered marriage in which both parties fear Allah in fulfilling their marital duties. Today, along with Dr. Jasser Aouda, scholar of Islamic law and Sister Hala Benini, psychologist and faith-based therapist, we will discuss the importance of family in the Islamic paradigm as well as the hows and whys of building, maintaining, and growing spousal relationships. Welcome back. So we're excited to have this conversation with uh, two guests who are joining us. And so our first guest is Dr. Jasser Auda. Dr. Jasser Auda is a scholar of Islamic legal theory and uh, president of Maqasid Institute. He serves on several FIC councils globally, and he's also written over 25 books that have been also in uh, multiple languages, actually, that have been translated as well. And our second guest uh, this evening is Sister Hale Benani, who has her master's in clinical psychology, and she's been serving thousands with faith-based counseling since 1998. Um, and she has founded and runs two very successful programs on marriage, one called The Five Pillars of Marriage and the other one called Mindful Hearts, which we will invite her to speak about later this evening. And uh, Hala has also received, um, sorry, she's also uh, received multiple other certifications and uh, inshallah we will also have her, uh, you know, share from her expertise. So to begin with, I'll ask uh, Brother Khaled to uh, introduce some of the questions that we want to engage in. And just a reminder, there's live questions and answers, so please get those in whenever that comes to your mind, inshallah. Go ahead, sorry. Okay, so uh, we're, we're very uh, fortunate to have uh, uh, two people I, uh, I uh, respect for their great work that they do, and also uh, uh, we have, a lo alhamdulillah, a good uh, relation working relationship towards uh, offering many uh, programs. Uh, Sister Hala participated at our convention last year, and uh, uh, yeah. Dr. Jasser is... Uh, a key uh, contributor to our e-learning platform, elearning.macnet.ca, and we continuously learn uh, uh, from both of them uh, throughout. Uh, Dr. Jasser, and uh, this is an area that you've uh, written uh, about uh, a lot, and, and uh, especially at a time where we uh, uh, live in a society where the concept of family is evolving and changing, and there are different uh, uh, perspectives to this uh, institute that was preserved for the longest time uh, across uh, different religions. Uh, we want to bring it back to our community and to reiterate the importance of uh, family uh, within uh, the Muslim worldview or the Islamic uh, uh, paradigm that we would love to live uh, uh, with. And uh, we want to highlight on basically talking about the Muslim family in uh, how do we live as a Muslim family in the context of uh, now and in the in the societies that we live in now. Dr. Jasser. Barakallahu feekum, Akhi, and uh, congratulations for uh, coming back, the program uh, being back on air. Alhamdulillah, salatu wassalam, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We always refer to the Qur'an for our Islamic worldview. And the Qur'an does not have the word family or usra but has the word zawaj or marriage, as well as other words of the relationships between people and their families from the mother's side, al-arham, or families from the father's side, al-ashar. And therefore, the cornerstone in a strong family in Islam is a strong marriage. Marriage is what the Quran is addressing in very extensive ways. And marriage starts by acknowledging that it's one of the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that the purpose of it is to find tranquility and love and mercy and to connect all of these things that Allah wants us to connect. And if we get that right, then the family which comes from the marriage will be, will be doing well. Um, the problem is that we don't get marriage right in Islam. 
And we have many Muslim customs and cultures that actually do not help uh, Muslim youth to practice the Islamic marriage as, as it is. We have so many uh, economic and social factors that interrupt the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in the facilitation of marriage for the younger ones. And I think it starts there with the new generation getting married when they, when they want to get married and facilitating for them to get married and not to put marriage in a very strict cultural or economic or social box that does not belong to the principles of Islam. And if we do that, perhaps they will learn to build strong families because they chose their marriages well and they went about marriages in an Islamic way. Dr. Jasser, um, I want to uh, maybe invite uh, Sister Hala to build on this. So, um, you know, looking at this institution of family in the Quran, I, there are multiple verses that talk about this. And so there's a huge focus uh, on looking at this as kind of the core institution that, you know, nurtures everything else. Yourself, having, you know, worked in this space for so long, and you know, working with people at various stages of their marriage, how would one actually start to even and think about marriage, choose a partner? You know, as Dr. Jessica is saying, perhaps you know, to to support young people who want to get married. How should we actually be thinking about this and approaching this? Be here and. Uh Pick my favorite topic, alhamdulillah. I love talking about building a beautiful marriage and building the family. It is critical for us to look at the marriage as the building block of society and look at it as if in marriage, if we have a happy, harmonious marriage, it is the soil in which the kids grow in, right? And if we have a healthy soil and we raise these children with love and mutual respect and we instill in them the the love and compassion of and, and the excitement about the dean, then we create fortresses for them where they are protected. They're protected from so many things from the outside world and they are prepared. We give them the tools. Now, as far as choosing a spouse, this is this is probably the most critical aspect of marriage because you can apply all the best marriage skills. You can learn how to communicate, how to resolve conflict and do everything correctly. But if you don't choose a compatible partner, then you're gonna definitely face some challenges. So one of the things that I find many of our communities do, they focus more on nationality, age and profession. That, you know, you, you find someone who is in the same in, in the same nationality and they're at, of the right age and it seems to be the best match but we really need to go beyond that it has been proven that we need to have compatibility we need to have similar life visions we need to be able to have a, some things that really unite us because if we don't take the time to know the other person, of course, in a halal way, then it's going to be very challenging to build a life together. I've come up with the three and three rule, rule which makes it easier because many times people have a scroll of 99 things they want in their spouse, right? And it makes it very challenging and difficult to find these characteristics. So I boil it down to three things you can't live without. These are the things you have to have for your happiness. You need it for your contentment and it varies for each person. So you boil it down to those three things and it varies. And three things you cannot live with. This is characteristics that if you see it in another person at the message, you may want to run away. It's something that you know is going to cause problems within your relationship. And you narrow it down and make it a lot simpler rather than being overwhelmed by it. And when you make it simple and you don't make it so difficult, you know, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, first of all, told us that the best 
amongst you is the one who is best to his family. So we know how much it is valued. And جَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمَةً That Allah has put between you mercy and love. So we need to choose someone that we are able to, they're able to bring out the best in us. One of the most important things and what I focus on is making sure that you are at your best. And you come into the marriage ready to give, rather ready to take. And you know, part of the Mindful Hearts Academy is teaching you how to be the best version of yourself because when you are at your best and you are tending to yourself emotionally, psychologically, intellectually, and you come in and you have so much to offer and you will attract the right person. So instead of making just that long list of all the wonderful qualities you're looking for, try to be the person that would attract a person that you are looking for. Thank you, Sister Hala, for uh, expanding on that. I, I guess to then, you know, the takeaway here is there's a focus on the self. It's not just about, you know, what we're looking for in the other mm -hmm. person, but there's a focus on the self, as you were saying, bring your best self. Um, so now yes. to move into the next space, which is the next stage, which is how do we then maintain and grow a marriage uh, within the Islamic framework? And maybe Dr. Jesse, if you can uh, help uh, guide us on this. Well, I, I believe in the very importance of the founding of the marriage. Uh, the maintenance of it uh, is an outcome of that. And uh, perhaps, uh, like at this age of mine, I could advise my brothers and sisters who are parents not to complicate things for our youth. Because um, what uh, my sister is saying about uh, focusing on a particular nationality and a class and so on is not Islamic. Islam it doesn't have this, but this is what the parents usually force on their children. And our children in Canada, you know, behave uh, in the Canadian culture of not caring really about people's color or people's nationality. I intervened in a number of cases recently where the you know, bride is Arab and the bridegroom is African, the bride is Malay and the bridegroom is European. And there are many problems from the parents' sides because they don't let the kids choose whomever they want. And it is very healthy that the community in Canada and the younger ones uh, go open-minded about that and choose from other cultures other than theirs and other races. And I think that this diversity is going to help the community grow uh, on the longer run. Uh, so we teach them how to build the family that they want to build with the person that they want to build the family with rather than a person that we prescribe for them. And that will help maintaining that family because they made a choice based on personal convictions and based on what they like in the world, even if it doesn't exactly suit what their parents like or what the families back home do. And I think that this is important because I see also cases where the parents are very uh, difficult to deal with in terms of marriage, and then the kids start to do wrong things. And then they fail to build marriages and maintain marriages because they did not learn to marry from a younger age. And they went in wrong ways, sometimes small mistakes, sometimes bigger mistakes, until they are 25 or 30 because of the parents' issues. And that is important because if the kids enter the marriage uh, in a clean way and young enough, we don't have to go by the dominant culture that you marry when you're 30 because we have a different code of ethics from the mainstream. And therefore, if we train them to be responsible at a younger age and build a family with the person that they feel is right for them, then perhaps we can maintain the family in a better way. Uh, I have a follow-up to this. Dr. Jesser focused on the, on the parents uh, for some time, but uh, I will push on the guys uh, now, the young men. And in many situations, uh, we, we, we see this as a, sometimes a trend in some uh, communities 
where you talk to a young man who has just graduated or has been working for a couple of years, and it is not from a financial perspective, the finances are there. But you ask them, why are you interested in getting married? And they tell you, I'm not ready. And uh, that's mm -hmm. a very common answer in terms of uh, readiness. And I feel that this has a relationship with the environment and the, and the society that we live in. But I would like you, Sister Hala, to, to, to give us an insight on what does ready being means uh, in, in that context or as an excuse. And what is the true meaning of ready to get married as well? So when, do you sh when should you feel ready? Well, that's a wonderful question to ask. When should you get ready? I think maturity has a big role to play in it. If you have the maturity, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with age. It has to do with sometimes spiritual maturity. Someone could be very ready for marriage, and they have lived a, a righteous life, and they want to secure half their faith by getting married and they have that readiness then that is that is excellent and it should be supported by the parents now why are some people saying that they're not ready and it could be because of the societal expectations there is a long list of things that they know that they need to be able to prepare for sometimes the meher sometimes the expectation of a maybe an extravagant wedding maybe it is the parents that are requiring a certain lifestyle and and this can really limit our ability to get married and we know that if we make it difficult uh, for for the people making the halal difficult then the haram becomes much easier and more people go towards that so we really need to facilitate we need to keep things in mind because the Prophet ﷺ has taught us that he puts barakat on the marriages that are, you know, they are simple, they're easy, the meher is lowered, that you are trying to unite two individuals without putting unrealistic expectations. So the readiness may be financial, but some people may not have the readiness as far as their, maybe, maybe they have a trauma. A lot of the clients I work with, they have dealt with inner trauma. They know that they have issues in their relationships. They may have anger issues. They may have certain addictions. And maybe the fact that they're not ready is that they may not want to bring all of that baggage into a relationship. So what I would say to that is start working on yourself. Try your best maybe to seek the professional help. And you can never be at a point where you say, you know, all your problems are resolved. I have no more emotional issues, no more financial issues. So you, you want to be realistic about it as well. But I really respect when people recognize that there are certain aspects of themselves that they need to improve. So if someone has, let's say, an anger issue, it's a good idea to work on that and to be in a better place so that when you do start a relationship, you come in well-equipped and, and you have most of the things under control. Uh, if, if, I, if I may add as well, since we mentioned yeah, about the guys, I think part of it as well is to teach our boys manhood uh, and to teach them to be tough and to teach them to be responsible. Uh, the Sahaba got married at very young ages and they had kids too. I mean, they, they are responsible people and that's how they carried Islam on their shoulders and they went uh, in the four corners of mm -hmm. earth to spread Islam. We sometimes nurture our boys, you know, too much and, uh, you know, protect them too much until they are in their 20s and they haven't carried responsibilities. Uh, and I, I think there is a general problem of manhood uh, in, in, in the Muslim ummah, but especially with our boys in middle-class Western societies, it's very important that we push them into, uh, you know, boot camps and um, to see suffering in the world and to interact with the reality so that they grow up uh, and they become men and they are not way into their 20s just doing computer games and stuff. They, they should really stand on their feet as men of the ummah, even if they were teenagers. I, I wanted to, um, you know, both of you are touching on this and, and this is, you know, uh, 
the, the expectations that people bring either of themselves or of others uh, of the other uh, person in, in a marital relationship and uh, you know in Islam that we are be we try to look at this beyond a transactional relationship between two people um, and so when and now looking also at the fact that the divorce rate um, and, and I think this is both in the Muslim and non-Muslim uh, uh, reality in North America is increasing. And so what are what are these challenges that are contributing to this and how do we think about this and, and, and there's a difference you know for us as Muslims we don't look at this as a transactional relationship between just the husband and wife and so I want to I want to ask both of you uh, maybe Dr. Jesse you can start uh, to uh, touch on this in terms of you know how do we approach what kind of frame of mind do we approach challenges with uh, it, when it comes to marriage? Well, d divorce in Islam or a talaq uh, could be a problem and could be a solution. Mm -hmm. And people who are getting married, they have to know the fiqh of that, the understanding, the deep understanding and knowledge of that. When is divorce a solution and a way out of a non-dignified situation, especially our sisters, uh, if the situation doesn't get better and they are not dignified in their marriage. And we take the steps of trying to people to mediate and so on. And then talaq could be a solution, but also talaq could be a problem if it is done carelessly and just people just get married and get divorced, you know, without carrying the burden of responsibility for that, uh, especially if the family has, you know, gone steps and had children, etc. So it's important that we teach our next generation the difference between divorce as a solution and divorce as a problem, and to teach them to avoid divorce as a problem, and to try to keep the marriage uh, that they start at a young age, because that is the wise thing to do. And that is how uh, you could develop your life in a better way, rather than managing you know, several uh, marriages uh, and so forth. But the problem is not in the numbers. The problem is how we deal with divorce. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talked about that in the Quran in many ways and gave us details so that divorce is dignifying. It's not, you know, people want to kill each other, families and so on. And therefore the society and the community and the children, if any, are not traumatized by that. So it's important that we learn what Islam says about divorce. Khairan, Dr. Jasser. And uh, we jumped uh, to divorce, but we want to maintain the family first. So uh, in between, uh, we started off with uh, I can add how on to, to choose. That. Yes. So in between, uh, between, hopefully we don't reach that, uh, that uh, point if it's not necessary. Uh, there are, of course, elements that uh, strengthen and keep a marriage strong and a foundation that uh, the couple invests in from the beginning. This is something we'd like to hear about. But we also want to talk about, uh, address some of the challenges that we would like to avoid. And I would name uh, some of the challenges related to, uh, related to uh, uh, the, the nature of uh, society that we live in. So there is a constant uh, competition between rights. This is it's my right to do so, it's my right to do so, it's my right to do so. And then there is also a contractual type of relationship where some of our mashaykh uh, who do the wedding, some people would go at length into mm -hmm. so many conditions in the marriage contract and it is how much I give and how much I take a very materialistic uh, contract. And I see this as part of those uh, challenges. So how do we mitigate some of these challenges? How do we build a foundation that keeps this marriage healthy and strong and flourishing. A secret okay. recipe. Do you have a um, secret recipe? I have the secret recipe for sure, inshallah. You know, the, they've done 40 years of marriage research, right? And to see how is it that some marriages last 40, 50 years, and then others can barely last five, right? And they have found that across the board, the one aspect that unites 
the couples and they make their marriage last is a friendship. When you have a friendship with your spouse, and that means you are kind to one another, you know your likes and dislikes, you spend time, there's quality time, and that friendship is what secures a, a strong, loving marriage. And that's what we need to build. And that is one of uh, the, you know, the concepts that we need to develop. Now, how do you prevent it from being transactional? How do you prevent it from my rights and my, uh, you know, your obligations is that you go in with the motto. And this is the motto I like to live by and teach live and love with a higher purpose. What is the higher purpose? The higher purpose is pleasing Allah. When you see your spouse as a way to Jannah, when you see that every action and interaction is not just between the two of you, not just be, be, you know behind closed doors, you can be one way and then in front of others, you're a completely different way. No, it is about having that Ihsan, living and knowing that Allah is watching you. Allah is hearing your words. Allah is seeing the actions. And when you live with that God consciousness, when you live with that understanding that everything that you do takes you either closer to Jannah through your spouse or, or we are going to get closer to the hellfire. And that when you keep that in mind, then it's no longer transactional. It's not, I'm nice to you when you're nice to me. It's about, I am getting a specific grade with Allah because of my behavior towards my spouse. And I like to ask everyone, what grade are you getting as a spouse, right? What grade or what percentage are you are you giving to the marriage? Not the work, not the housework, not the not the cooking and the cleaning, but what are you putting into it as far as love and compassion and mercy and helping and playfulness? If you are not putting into it, and if you have a grade that you would be ashamed to see on a piece of paper, then there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Then we need to definitely, so a secret recipe is build that friendship with your spouse and be God conscious. Be aware that Allah is watching you and hearing you and every step that you take could get you closer to Jannah by doing that. Now, you asked about, did you want to say something, brother? No, Allah bless you. No, what, what my sister Hala is saying is actually uh, the core of the Islamic approach uh, to marriage uh, mm. because many of our youth approach Islam in a very legal way. I get sometimes in discussions mm -hmm. amongst my brothers and sisters from, from the younger generation. And I tell them, why are you guys talking as if you're standing in a court? Like, why don't you talk about mm -hmm. the issue of love and mercy? Why do you say, Imam, this said yes. that, and uh, there is an fiqhi opinion <laughs> that I cannot do this. Oh, but Imam, this said that uh, a woman has to do this in the kitchen. Like that is not really the right approach to Islam. I think we legalized Islam too much in our community. Yes, of course, mm -hmm. Islam has a legal, but our approach to Islam cannot be that legalistic when we deal with marriage. It has to be based on the higher purposes, exactly as my sister is saying. And the higher purposes are the foundation of this, uh, not, not legal jurisprudence as if we're standing in a court. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> and many times people. Oh, go ahead. Yes, sorry. So, uh, so you just want to remind our viewers that they can call in or ask questions. And so we have a question um, from a viewer, and we're ready to take that. Assalamualaikum. Oh, the questions on on the screen. Sorry. Okay. What our what are our institutions doing to teach youth? about choosing the right spouse and later how to maintain their marital relationship? So, yeah. um, would you like to take that, brother? We're doing TV programs and that's one of them. Like, please, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Just... Right. <laughs> well, educating, yes. And uh, mashallah, the brother, you have written many books on, on marriage. And I'm sure, you know, get educating ourselves is so important, whether it's through books or through programs. I know, you know, my husband and I have dedicated our lives to helping save Muslim marriages, helping them educate them. We did a, a premarital program 
for individuals that you know a lot of times when people are getting married they think oh we're so in love we don't we don't need anything we're our love is gonna you know keep us strong and we thought what would appeal to this population that feels like they're so in love and they don't need to learn so we brought in a comedian baba ali and i teach the information and he makes it entertaining so you need to find ways to educate our youth because every marriage lecture that i've ever gone to at a at a masjid it's rights and responsibilities it makes it very dull and like the brother was saying it becomes like you know it, it is like a law course that you're taking we we really need to approach it with that with the love and the compassion first of all as parents we need to set the example. We need to make marriage so appealing in the way we treat with one another that our kids can't wait to get married. If kids are afraid of getting married, if they're repulsed by it, that means we have not done our part in being role models for them. So the institutions, that's good, but it starts in the home. And like I said, our marriage is the soil, so we can't outsource. We can't outsource that. We got to start in our own home, in our own marriages, in the way we talk, in the way we respect, and in the way we resolve conflict. And if we do that, our kids will have a very positive outlook towards marriage, inshallah. An additional note, perhaps, uh, about teaching and education. I think it's important that we educate our children that there are different levels of love. And the most superficial is the material level. Uh, perhaps teach them love in a better way. It, love in Islam is not about the picture. Uh, of course, the Quran mentions, you know, somebody likes somebody's outlook. But that's the most superficial way of building love. There are deeper ways of loving the person based on knowing them and based on having a history together and based on building things together and doing ibadah together and giving charity together and being you know together in times of toughness and times of good and just to teach the children that the material you know fashion industry kind of definition of love is not really love is not the the highest level or the deepest level of love between men and women in Islam from the Islamic perspective. It is deeper than that because it is friendship, as my sister is saying, and it has to do with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it doesn't mean that it's not materialistic or it is like a Sufi love or any of it. It's not like that, but it's a depth of love that is mature and based on principles and value rather than based on the you know the, the outlook of the entertainment business and the fashion industry so i want to take the, the conversation back to where we uh, started uh, and as we talk about the family as an institution and the family as a, a, a part of the wider community and society um, so there is, as you've explained, the roles and uh, duties of uh, the individuals to uh, maintain and benefit from a healthy, uh, healthy marriage. But we also find ourselves now where the Muslim communities are among the last uh, communities that are protecting and defending the traditional marriage and the traditional family unit. Uh, what... what uh, is there a role both ways uh, for the individual to take this into consideration uh, the role of uh, us as individual Muslims in these societies to play in, in maintaining that big picture and then the second is what in a setup where the society is different uh, there is no big extended families there is uh, uh, no legal structure to support the rights and responsibilities within and, and outside marriage and so on. Is there a communal role uh, within the society to also protect that family unit and maintain it this way? And I'll leave the question to both of you. Please. I, I think the... the um, 
the marriage um, role that, that the institutions, I mean, could could do in order to protect uh, marriage, um, has to do with uh, facilitating um, counseling, but from an Islamic point of view, rather than counseling that is based on values that are not Islamic. Uh, society could define family however they want. Uh, in Islam. Allah defined the genders of humanity and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defined to us in detail what is a right marriage versus what is called zina in Islam. And it's very important for every Muslim to know the difference between zawaj and zina, marriage and adultery, what we call adultery in Islam. And what we're talking about now when we talk about family, we're talking about marriage. We're not talking about adultery. And adultery is not marriage. If people get into a conceptual confusion, uh, then there is a problem with their Islamic understanding. You know, legalities aside and what is allowed by law in a liberal society aside, you know, you know, drinking is allowed and usury is allowed and so on. But nobody said that drinking is a right or user or Muslims should do that. So my point is that we should maintain the worldview of Islam very clear about the difference between zawaj and zina and take zawaj in its higher purposes and so on rather than the superficialities of it. Sister Hela, do you want to add? Well, I would like to uh, address one of the questions you asked, and we may have overlooked it, about some of the challenges that we face in the marriage, because that is something that I deal with sometimes 10 hours a day when I'm doing the marriage counseling with the with the Muslims from all over the world, and I find that there are main issues. There are some main issues that are happening in our marriages. One is a power struggle between the, you know, the husband and the wife where there's this constant, um, there, there's a constant feeling of like who's in charge, right? And what has happened is that as, as women, we've had to adopt a lot of male-like characteristics to get ahead, right? Whether it's being assertive, being um, having to speak your mind, being... And these characteristics have served us in the workforce, but then when it comes to our household, it can create a lot of struggles. So this is something, the, addressing the power struggles and realizing that there are times you can dial up and dial down. So it's very important to ha be in touch with the femininity and be able to, uh, you know, bring out the best in your spouse and not necessarily force it. Right? It's about about having that compatibility. Then another issue that comes up, sadly, I'm very sad to say this, but there's a lot of infidelity in our in our community, and this is not something that people talk about, but this is something. Um, Many times I will have four or five cases a day of this in our community. So we need to really safeguard our marriages. We need to see what are we doing? How can we protect our marriage? How can we safeguard it from any form of infidelity? And if that does happen, is the marriage over or is it salvageable? So these are the some of the common issues. And then the involvement of in-laws right in-laws they say in-laws or outlaws and and it's understanding this delicate relationship where you know sometimes there could be unreasonable expectations from the parents side and sometimes you know the the daughter-in-laws or son-in-laws can be very unreasonable and and cut ties so these are the main issues that i am seeing on a daily basis uh, where couples are on the brink of divorce and because they don't know how to resolve these major issues that are going on in their marriages if i may add a note on the infidelity that my sister is talking about actually we should differentiate between different kinds of that uh, if we're talking about mm -hmm. zina, again, from the man or from the woman, then this is a major crime towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and towards the marriage. If we're talking about the man marrying another woman, uh, it could be a right for the man in Islam 
but also his wife has a right not to agree to that. Uh, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu mm-hmm. did not agree it, uh, for his Allah own Allah daughter. Allah. And, and he said that he will dissolve mm-hmm. the marriage if Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu, wajah, went mm-hmm. ahead with that. So we should not um, misrepresent the right of a man in Islam originally, of course, legally here in Canada, we have these restrictions. But originally, there is a right for having more than one wife. But it is not the obligation of his wife to agree to that. And it is her right to ask for her husband to only marry her and so on and to resolve the problems if they have problems uh, so that we don't get into these problems uh, of the second marriage being on paper a marriage, but really uh, unfair to the second wife we see in our reality and so forth. Uh, and Islam doesn't say that. Islam says that if a man marries two wives, that he treats them equally, exactly, and so forth, which is not really what happens in our reality in 100% of the cases. And to deal with infidelity, whether from the man or the woman's side in terms of zina, in a very strict way, that this is not, uh, uh, this is a total red line in Islam. And uh, if people have problems with their marriages, they have to resolve that before they cross these red lines. Allah And I want to just build up on, the, uh, on, the, on, the, okay. on this discussion. Good. And I think one of the contentious mm-hmm. issues as well that is consistent and also is escalated between when, when the marriages come from different cultures or different uh, backgrounds. And that's basically the concept of uh, uh, defined gender roles, the role of the man, the role of the woman, the role of the mother and the children. Uh, I want to hear from both of you about uh, uh, about that specifically. So are there clearly prescribed uh, gender roles when it comes to family responsibilities in Islam? And I know this is a subject for an entire lecture, but uh, maybe if you can touch about, upon it, Dr. Jasser, then Sister Hala would be uh, really appreciated. Well, it's um, well. Let's say that this is not set in stone, in terms of the Islamic law, the Islamic. Faith. It's not an obligation for a woman to do something or a man to do something, except for the man to support the family, because Allah Subhanahu wa Taala created the, the, the males and females in different ways, and it's an obligation of the man primarily to support the family and an obligation for the woman primarily to care for the children. It doesn't mean that the male doesn't care for the children or the female doesn't help with the family, but these are the primary roles. Now, the details of this is subject to culture and subject to customs. Uh, What I noticed in dealing with some cases is that people want the best or what suits them from every culture. You know, know, they, they want their rights from Islam and the rights from secular societies, both of them. And therefore, it doesn't work like that. So if you have your rights from Islam, you have to maintain your responsibilities and you have to maintain the roles that, you know, the Islam, the Islamic paradigm as defined historically could tell you. But if, if you want to go in terms of Western culture in a particular way, husband and wife could agree on that in Islam on any setup, but, but they have to respect that. You see, so Allah Sure. Well, I like that you said it's not set in stone. It is really important for a husband and wife to actually discuss this before they get married. So when I do premarital counseling with couples, I bring this up. This is one of the first topics because it has a lot to do with our expectations. What is your expectation of your wife? What is your expectation of your husband? Are there some specific gender roles that you are anticipating and when you have this discussion before getting married then there are no surprises you can agree and you could have certain compromises and also what i have found is that many people will go to the fiqh when they want to do the bare minimum right so the fiqh says that I am not responsible, let's say, for my in-laws, or I do not have to cook and clean, right? And then 
but they don't want the shirk when it comes to what they receive. They want the maximum, right? Because if we look at the fit of what it, the husband is required to do is, you know, shelter and food and I don't know how many uh, garments. And so we need to be, we need to have a Quranic characteristic. The Prophet ﷺ came to perfect our character. So when we look at a relationship, not as, you know, what's the bare minimum that I can, that I can give and then the maximum that I can take. This is kind of like, right? Like you are, you are trying to barter. You're trying to give less and take more, which this is very unethical and it's un-Islamic. So we need to go beyond the basics. I mean, the fit definitely sets the guidelines, but from a Islamic perspective, our character should get us to want to, let's say, be to honor our in-laws, to take care of them. We should want to create a home, not just a house. It should be a, something that we look forward to pamper our spouse and our children and not look down on it. So it really has a lot to do with our mindset. It has a lot to do with our character. And sometimes when we get in the nitty gritty and we try to uh we try to find loopholes in the dean then that's where the relationship will go sour but when we go in with the best of intention and we are there to really really ascend because if you take care of your spouse and your children with ihsan i mean that is that is the easiest path to Jannah. It's not always easy. It can be challenging, but it is a way to earn Jannah. And I hope that we can look at it from that perspective more rather than just saying, what can I get away with? What is the bare minimum? And what is the maximum that I can take? Yeah. I want to also add that there is a difference between fiqh and the history of fiqh. Uh, fiqh is mm -hmm. how the Quran applies to our lives. The history of fiqh is how people lived in, you know, Baghdad or mm -hmm. Syria or India a thousand years ago. And we should not copy from the history of fiqh, our fiqh today, uh, except for the fixed matters. I'm obviously not talking about, you know, doing hajj differently or praying from other than five times a day. I'm talking sure. about issues of marriage, of mu'amalat. We're not supposed to copy from the books of history of fiqh. We're supposed to have fiqh based on the Qur'an. And what my sister is talking about in building a home is fiqh, not what Imam this and that said because they had this in the culture of Baghdad or Cairo of, or Morocco of 500 years ago. And this discussion uh, can go forever and there is so much interest in, uh, <laughs> in what you both are bringing, mashallah, and both of you. Uh, and uh, I'm sure... Uh, we will have uh, follow-ups and uh, and uh, we, we hope that you can come back with us again uh, and have follow-ups for this discussion. Inshallah. Every aspect that we discussed today can uh, can be a segment on its own. Sister uh, Mimuna, do you want to? Jazakallah uh, khair. And I think what's really nice is uh, the, the perspective that both of you bring um, from the, uh, you know, from, uh, uh, as a scholar, Dr. Jasser, and then uh, Sister Hala, from really what you're seeing in your practice over uh, the last over 25 years. So Jazakallah khair uh, for the insight that you have both brought to this discussion and helped to bring it alive, alhamdulillah. Um, and this, uh, for those of you that are joining us tonight, this is the first in our sessions and uh, on, on our episodes on um, the Islamic, the institution of family in Islam. And so uh, uh, Brother Khalid, uh, what are some other episodes that we can look forward to over the course of uh, the coming weeks inshallah on this topic so inshallah we'll address uh, many uh, uh, many aspects and uh, next week uh, as we did today we uh, we we spoke about marriage which is which is a big change in one's life but the other bigger change is when you start to have kids uh, so to uh, next week inshallah we'll address uh, uh, parenting and challenges uh, uh, of parenting or parenting from Islamic perspective and we hope to uh, have a good discussion about this. Jazakallah khair. So join us on uh, Thursday nights. That's 7.30 and uh, we will continue have to have these conversations and entertain your live Q&A. Brother Khalid, if you can do a closing dua for us tonight. Jazakallah khair. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. 
والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر جزاكم الله خيرا والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله Islam in Life is an online production by the Muslim Association of Canada.